Hey, hey, it's the Real Wolf Record Club. I am your host, Joe, and with me, as always, is the Real Wolf Record Club panel, Hannah, Ben, and Ryan. We've got a very special show for you this week. Obviously, if you're if you're a subscriber, as you all hopefully are, and you're finding this album, or this episode, excuse me, pop up in your feed, uh, Spotify or Apple or however you get your podcast delivered to you, you're noticing it's it's a Sunday and it's popping up. And you're saying, hey, look at this. The Real Wolf Record Club is talking about the classic rap album, Dr. Dre's The Chronic. And I've been hearing a lot about Dr. Dre's The Chronic or Dr. Dre lately. And it might might be because he's a billionaire who sold beats to Apple or he's a producer and rapper and performer who's launched the careers of people like Snoop Dogg and Eminem and Kendrick Lamar, among others. Or, or it might be because you're at home cooking your dips and putting your wings in and loading bowls full of chips and opening craft beers like maybe some from 612 brew for a party you might be having to watch a certain nationwide event i don't know maybe maybe not but that's the album we're talking about today so while you're doing whatever you're doing on this wonderful sunday let us accompany you here on the real wolf record club as i said we've got a great episode we're talking about the classic album dr dre's the chronic and we are doing it with two very special guests robert Kasich and adik kalra from 612 brew in minneapolis minnesota and bay cannon brew company in tampa florida two great beer heads joining us to talk about a classic album uh we're going to stop in later on in the episode with put it on a playlist with ben and we're going to give this album our patented ranking of bury it borrow it buy it or buy it again we've got a great show for you here on the real wolf record club so let's get to it welcome guys thanks for having us Absolutely. So um, we mentioned, we talked, I mentioned uh, you're, you're the owners of two breweries, two different states across the country. Um, help us out. How does that start? How do you go from uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, St. Paul, Twin Cities area, which has a pretty vibrant and uh, interesting and various varied uh, brewery culture to Tampa, Florida, which I've been to Tampa and I just don't see a lot of breweries down there. How, how do you go from those extremes? How did you guys get your start? So we got our start basically home brewing. Um, in the early 2000s, uh, I was making beer out of the kitchen. And my wife said, uh, this is annoying. So either you uh, do something or uh, stop doing it. So uh, I wrote a business plan to start a brewery. Um, you know, in the mid 2000s, there wasn't too many breweries in Minneapolis, let alone Minnesota. Um, so I was able to write a, you know, think of the concept of making a brewery and uh, wanted to bring it to the masses. Frankly, just because I wanted to drink 612 brew at the restaurants that I ate at. It was a super, super selfish way of doing it, but that was ultimately the, the goal. And I knew Audit uh, through some mutual friends and Audit's got a really good business background and I have a beer background and and obviously you can't open up a brewery if you don't have a business background. And so me and Audit really make a really good team of business and beer and uh, decided to make a go at this and uh, start a brewery together. Was it a mutual friend that drew one to the other? Audit, I mean, you come at this from the business. He described you as no beer, all business and him's all beer, no business. What was your interest in doing in, in partnering with this? I immediately thought about it as a business. 
um, you know, when I started, that was my number one focus. All right. So how do we scale this? How do we make money at this? Um, how do we grow this? What do we do? I completely, you know, that's kind of my, my brain. Um, I, I literally ran into the finance side of it. And that, that's the great dynamic is that Robert, you know, he's very super creative. I mean, when we started this brewery, you see a lot of breweries mimicking what we did when we started, uh, you know, and a lot of that, you know, is kudos to Robert because he came up with so many amazing ideas when we started this company um, and it's longevity, which has kept us alive still today. Um, there are breweries that are closing. There are breweries that are suffering. Um, we're still, we're still here. Uh, we're thriving. We're alive. Um, you know, and, and a lot of that is to the early years of Robert's creativity. Me, I'm just the guy who's like, all right, well, that's too expensive. No, all right, let's, let's not spend the money on there. All right, let's do this, you know? Um, but I give a lot of credit to, to Robert about that. I mean, I think we've both become way stronger at both skills. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great mesh. Well, and you've described, I mean, you guys have hit a lot of the points that I think draw people in to the craft beer scene and, and, you know, you've found a way to carve out a niche and that's kind of what makes in my mind, at least craft brewery breweries work. Um, what, but within that, I mean, there's gotta be a way, there's gotta be something that you guys identify as your, your brand or your niche or your, what is, what is 612 and Bay Cannon? What is, what are, what are you carving out as your brand or your niche within that scene? When we started this brewery, right? I mean, craft brewery, well, I mean, when we opened the tap room, Joe, like there wasn't tap rooms, right? Well, like we, there was no tap rooms at the time. I mean, there was a, you can't even say a handful. There was two, there was two tap rooms that were open before us. So we got to build the vibe. We got to create the environment and to your point, build that vibe of, of what tap rooms feel. And yeah, we make craft beer, but we're gonna party and we're gonna have a good time and we're gonna live our lives and do the things that we wanna do while drinking craft beer at the same time. And, and you know, I was hesitant because craft beer folks don't always align with that party atmosphere. Audit wasn't wrong and Audit wanted to party. We party. Partied a lot. <laughs> Well, and I think I think you're hitting on exactly what I th if you haven't been to a craft brewery in a city that supports that kind of scene. And I will tell you, there are states and cities where it is not present. It is a different vibe for sure. But um, you'll notice this kind of ethic, as I've described it, that the owners clearly have. And, and, and kudos to you guys for figuring that out early. It's the kid friendly, dog friendly um you know, if you've ever been overseas in Europe, there's a lot of bars where they don't have TVs, they don't have games. They it's it's come here, drink our beer, hang out, and connect with one another. And that's really what I think is really prevalent in six one two brew, at least that I've seen, and in a lot of local places is it's a space to bring people in and connect with each other over a drink, which is kind of sounds like what you guys bonded over in the first place to have a drink and figure out a problem and figure out a plan and move forward together. With that though. It's not just about having a good idea. It's not just about having a good space. There is a constant, constant pressure to innovate and stay creative and stay ahead of the curve. How do you guys do that? I mean, as business owners, small business owners, brewery owners, how do you stay ahead of the curve in an industry that demands innovation? I think it's hard. I mean, it's it's hard to innovate anymore because 
that's the that's that's the thing right because people's mindset changes so constantly and you know your demands change every one second all right well you know like you don't like the peanut butter you don't like the candy but that's what people are gravitating towards now and you have to you have to look at the age group too right um you know 12 year olds well we built our business plan we're looking at demographics we only serve 21 year olds joe (laughs) right right. who who are the people (laughs) who are drinking who are the people who have money who can Mm -hmm. afford to spend seven dollars on a beer or six dollars on a beer um you know then you bring in millennials which is a whole new i mean 10 years we've been in this business it feels i I honestly feel like i've been doing this for half my life um a quarter of your life on it you know i know but it feels like it feels a lot longer um you innovate by i think just staying to who you are um and you have to you have to also look at what the general public wants um but you can't go you know if we if i did everything that the general public wanted we'd be making like sugarcane beer with you know a penis in it and like sprinkles and you know uh just like eight different other fucking things but just everything you know everything in there just throw everything go into your pantry throw everything in there and make it a beer there's, there's no penis on there. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say it sounded good mostly. <laughs> yeah, but just a lot um, of pumpkin spice. A lot of pumpkin spice. Uh, we got a beer you know, like that, it, guys. We do. <laughs> but you know, it, it you have to you, you got it's got to be a balance. Everything is a balance. Mm. So it's balancing out what the public wants. It's what your your brewers know how to make. It's what as owners we discuss. It's got to be. You know, everybody's got to get on the right page. Mm. You just got to feel feel confident about knocking out what you got to do. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, you know, you talk about confidence and, and creating that space, and I mean, it's been the pressure not only to to remain innovative and, and cater to the the people that are going to come buy your pro- your product, um, but but just to survive. I mean, uh, before we started today, we were talking a little bit about that, and just there's something to be said for being a survivor in the hospitality industry, in the small business industry over the last year and a half. Um, you guys went through somewhat of a, uh, I'd call it a transformation a little bit prior to the pandemic where you had to kind of rethink some of the, the things you were working on and rethink kind of um, your approach to some of this stuff. So then the pandemic forced everyone to do it. Um, every business had to rethink, how are we going to survive? How are we going to do this? So I, I look at you guys as, you know, you're, you're twice survivors. You've kind of made it the 10 years. You've made it past the first few years. You reinvented yourself once and you've kind of had to do it again. What what lessons do you take? What lessons do you take from that? And what would you tell little baby Audit Kalra and little baby Robert Kasich at the start of their careers with 612 Brew? Never stop changing, right? You're always innovating. There is no question behind that too because the beers that we started with in 612 nine years ago, um, I mean, nine years ago feels like forever ago, but nine years is a long time for a brewery. And the beers we made nine years ago, they're not being made today, right? Not because they're not good beers. Sure, they were great beers, but because we're constantly innovating. But also recognize where your roots are too. And so if you were to look at our tap list right now, you know, hazy IPAs are, are super huge and super big for the general public. 
but we're also making double IPAs. We're making a single hop IPA. We're making a West Coast IPA. West Coast IPA is a classic American IPA. And, 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 and now we have to actually call it West Coast to let people know it's a classic, you know, old school IPA. Just to let them know that, hey man, you're, you're not drinking the IPA that you're familiar with because you're younger and you don't even understand that we were making these beers nine years ago when you were in elementary school. Um, it's that G-Funk you know, IPA. Oh shit, dude. It's that G-Funk <laughs> IPA. So the innovation is always there, man. It, it, it's That's what you have to do to survive. You have to innovate. You have to always be on top of the, the trends. Um, but also, to your point, Joe, you have to make it your own too. You, you can't always follow trends and, and be like, oh, I'm going to be like that next brewery who just made this really weird beer. No, no, no. I have an identity. We know who we are. And we're gonna we're gonna bang up the best beer we can make with our identity. The tap room's open, right? All right. What is the next? What's the next step for six one two brew Bay Cannon for Audit and Robert? So I can speak to Bay Cannon. Um, we actually uh, we sold our IP, um, our intellectual property. So we got acquired by a company out of North Carolina mm. um, that is going to, with, with us, produce the beer to bring it into 50 states. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. So Bay Cannon in 50 states. Yeah. 50 Fabulous. states. It's a, it's a long-term plan. Um, and our plan is to bring it into their plan. Uh, along with ours, is to bring it nationally. That is exciting. Yeah. That is exciting. But so, boots on the ground. Yeah, uh, so we're in North Carolina. We're in New Orleans. We're everywhere in Florida, Miami, Tampa, Orlando. Uh, we're in D.C. Um, we're going to be heading into the Midwest shortly. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it we're it, it, it's a... Uh, like I said, it's a completely different brewery than what we built with 612. Um, it's a more of a boutique style brewery, uh, very unique beers, very different beers than what we make, uh, just because the demographics were mm -hmm. different when we started. And, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, hopefully everybody will see it, you know, across the country soon. Mm. Bay Cannon beer coming to a, brewery near you or a restaurant near you Hopefully, total line too. there you go love it well i appreciate the opportunity to talk with you guys i'm uh I, I know i joked about some of the bad beers out there you guys are some of the good beers out there and i we always love that, to hear Joe. about Thank the you. process so with that you guys signed up for this you didn't know it was coming but it is time for our favorite time of every interview it is ched talk time Ched talk time. And everyone, I can't even say it without laughing because the, the history with Ched, it's a long and tortured history. Ched got his name or her name, could be either, uh, because the rest of the panel had no interest in naming our firstborn child, which is the wonderful. If you go to our website, realwolfrecordclub.com, and you can click on the links for our merchandise, the wonderful, talented Ward Sutton, uh, who is a guest on our show, uh, drew us, created us, Ched. And I said, hey, gang. What should we name this this beautiful creation? And they said nothing. And so I said, well, what about Chad? What about Ted? What about Chet? And nobody had any. So I said, all right, guys, the dumbest name I can name was Ched. So 
we now have an interview segment called Ched Talk. So, are you guys ready for Ched Talk? Absolutely. I've been waiting for this. He's been waiting for it. All right. Uh, so, first question. How old were you when you drank your first beer? Eight. Eight? Eight? <laughs> what was yours, Robert? Oh, man. Probably 19. <laughs> Eight. Love it. Eight. Uh, the worst idea, <laughs> the worst beer idea that you have had that has never seen the light of day, that has never come into existence. Like, I don't care what Otto will say. Uh, the ideas that I come up with are terrific. Now, anything that he's about to tell you, garbage. That's why we don't do it. So, I want the I cutting know. room floor of 612 Brew. <laughs> you got one for us on it? <laughs> the worst. Milkshake IPA. Terrible. What was I like, it? You know, you know, yeah. Milkshake IPA. Crazy, you know. Got passion fruit, gummy, gummy bears. Sour Patch Kids, throw it all in there. Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant could supposedly, allegedly drink 156 beers in one sitting. Allegedly. What's the one snack you could eat 156 beers of in one setting? Uh, Joe, I could literally drink 156 beers, and I can tell you that right now. I can do that it. is a fact. There's um, nobody in the world that can drink more beer than fucking Robert. It this is, is, <laughs> it is insane. The this guy has got a six-pack. I don't know how he doesn't get fat. Uh, you know, it, it, it blows my mind. And the guy could drink so much beer. I'm like, God, do you not get, like, can you switch to scotch? Nope. Like, can you do, like, tequila? Like, just stop. Yeah, I can do it both, yes. It, but yes, the question was of a snack. I want Oreos. to know the nerd side. Or- a snack. Oreos. Oreos. Mm-hmm. it. Tex-Mex, you know, like, just like, you know, Byerly's little, like, Tex-Mex? you know. Little, yeah. What is going on right now? You know, like little snacks. <laughs> you know, snacks. Yeah, no, I, I know what fucking Tex-Mex is, but for real? Tex-Mex? Yeah, but like Indian-style Tex-Mex. So, like, oh, we get, like, from yeah. India, we get, like, a nice, yeah. like, yeah, flavorful, like, spicy, mm-hmm. you know, peanuts. It's got li- little curry on there. It's this beautiful. Mm. Bud Light Lime or Diet Mountain Dew? Bud Light Lime. <laughs> Neither. Bud Light Lime. I mean, not even a question. Let's go. Your best day as a brewer? Uh, The the first day I mashed in at 6.2. It was such a cool experience. Like, you know, like, I mean, I was a home brewer forever, and now I'm actually doing this to sell to the public, man. Like, that was the day. I remember taking pictures, posting on Twitter, and just being like, this is it. I mean, that was the coolest day of all time you need medical advice but no actual doctors are available dr dre dr phil or dr oz well dr phil and dr oz aren't even doctors nor is dr dre holy shit (laughs) what do you what do you even do what's happening you just need medical advice dr dre Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre. That is the correct answer. And that concludes Chad Talk. Go to Dr. Dre if you need medical advice. We're talking with Audit and Robert from 612 Brew and Bay Cannon Brewing. We will be back. Welcome back.
back to the Real Wolf Record Club. On this episode, we're talking about The Chronic with Dr. Dre and our guests Adek Kalra and Robert Kasich. Just just saying that, saying that phrase, saying that name, that album, gives you, if you know music, if you know rap, if you know G-Funk, if you know West Coast rap from the mid and early 90s, that should give you chills. This album was released in 1992, about six months after the riots in L.A. during following the the uh, verdict in the Rodney King case. It's simmering, it's smoldering, it's burning, it's a punch in the face. It's almost, and I'm curious to know what anybody's opinions, uh, it's almost like a metal album. Now that sounds a little crazy because we're not talking about hardcore metal or anything like that, but it's almost like a metal album in the sense that it is, it is raw and muscular and tough and it does not, there are, there are no soft songs in this album. Um, that was my initial impression of this album but i'm curious to know um and this can be thrown out to everybody what everyone's initial expectations were coming into this album audit this was your album this is one you wanted what was your what was your expectation and familiarity with the the chronic by dr dre i loved it i mean right when i heard it you know um i've been following rap my entire life and when i heard the chronic and just that sound like the keyboard when you hear somebody like Snoop, that iconic voice, which I think Snoop has got one of the most iconic voices in all of music of all time, because you just know anywhere, oh my God, that's that's Snoop Dogg. Uh, just hearing him with Dre and that production, I mean, I was fucking blown away. I was like, oh my God. Instant point of discussion though, uh, you know, the Snoop-Dre pairing, which, who did it better? Who wore it better? Snoop and Dre or Snoop and Martha Stewart? Well, you don't you don't have one without the other. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like it, it's it you it, it, it can't compare the two. You know, it, um, it, it, it it's really hard. It's like you know, it's like talking to a boxing person. Like who's better, Ali Frazier? They fought three <laughs> bouts. One in Zaire, one here in Madison Square Garden. They're going at it. Two of the greatest fighters. You can't compare the two. They're just phenomenal. Mm. You know, and this this was really the first uh, first showcase of Snoop, and and I say showcase because some of the hits, some of the singles off the songs prominently feature, and I think we'll get into that later. Prominently feature Snoop Dogg. Um, what what was anyone else's? Uh, Ryan, uh, what was your initial impression? I know you have a long history with this album as oh, well. Ada, thank you. I was so pumped to uh, do this album on the episode today because this album and I go way way back. Um, so far back that uh, this was one of the first albums I ever purchased. Um, I signed up for BMG Music Service, so everyone remembers that, Columbia House, BMG. But my parents wouldn't let me have this album. It was off limits, but I got a thing in the mail. I signed up. I got this, Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style, a Wu-Tang Clan album, two Rage Against Machine albums, and Tupac, All Eyes on Me, in my first whatever you got, eight free albums that you didn't actually get free. Yeah, yep, yep. Anyway, um, so these show up at my door, I get the mail. This is one of the first albums that I was just ready to tear into because um, this was not only cool sounding music, I'd heard it before, but it was off limits, which made it even cooler um, when you're probably, I was probably 12 or 13 years old at the time. Um, so I would go in my room and I would listen to this album and my mom, my dad, they, they could hear me listening to this, 
and they labeled my bedroom the den of naughty music because of the lyrics and things like that. <laughs> and kudos to my parents. They, they didn't like it. They didn't want me to have it, but they never took it away from me. They just said, all right, close the door. If you want to listen to that, go for it. Um, I got in trouble later on for having to bill for BMG for whatever I ended up having to pay for these things. But um, I still have this album somewhere. I don't know where it is. It's in a CD binder in a garage or something like that. But um, I don't know. I was excited to revisit it because it honestly been probably a decade since I've listened to it in its entirety. Um, but yeah, a lot of nostalgia kind of flowing back as I as I played it from start to finish the first time. And uh Really excited just to revisit it again and expecting, I don't know, I'm a nostalgic person, so I, I knew that I was going to really enjoy the, the trip down memory lane. Yeah, it's crazy when you look back at an album like this, uh, I, I, and everyone take comes to an album their own way. Some listen to it start to finish, some listen to it all in a row, some listen to it starts and stops. I, I kind of go full and I listen to it in a lot of different ways, but I also look up videos on it and I watching that intro to some of these videos brought me way back to like MTV, MTV news, Kurt Loder, uh, you know, you'd come in, yo, MTV raps and the video and you'd see Dre walking through, I think it was the socks hat and the buttoned up shirt walking through some dirty kitchen out to the backyard. I mean, I'm like, Oh my God, Dre day. I remember this album and this video. Oh my God. So, um, but when you look back, I guess we don't, I didn't really have an appreciation for what an absolute monster, of an album this was in the sense that it went platinum two or three times and it it absolutely mainstreamed rap in a way that it hadn't been done for a long time um robert you you had a history with rap at the time too <laughs> history with rap at the time um big music fan i know that from my conversations with you but what coming into this album what was your initial expectations obviously based on somebody who's a rap lover so like Ryan, I was 14 when I heard this record and um, it came from MTV, right? That's what we all heard, nothing but a G thing, right? That's the, that, that, that is typically uh, for, for those folks who are hearing it for the first time, that's where we heard it. It wasn't on mainstream media yet, um, but MTV put that, that, uh, that video out. And I think about um, what it did for the pop culture at the time, because what hip hop was at that point in time wasn't anything that we'd heard, right? Because Dre coming from NWA, this was a departure from what he was doing, uh, from, from what that band was doing. And it's also a departure from what other rap was doing. Uh, don't forget, like Beastie Boys was out at the same time, like, you know, Check Your Head was hitting and uh, a complete, you know, Rick Rubin style rap rock kind of thing. Um, and this was West Coast. This was aggressive. This was diss tracks. This was, to your point, Joe, a heavy metal record put to hip hop lyrics and, and, and hi-hats. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy to think my son's 14 and the same age that, that I was when I heard this and what he's hearing right now uh, and what's driving his interest for music. It's, it's kind of, this is what drove my interest for music at the time too. Mm. Hannah, I think you had a similar experience with, with it, at least to me. And I know Ryan, uh, you're kind of coming up from it from, you know about it, but you don't really know about it. That's how I felt with the album. I knew it, but I didn't know how big it was. What was your initial expectations on this? So I wasn't super familiar with this album, actually. I knew the singles off it, and that was it. I was much more acquainted with uh, 
his next album, um, the Dre 2001, I remember listening to that with um, some of my girlfriends before cheerleading practice in high school. <laughs> so that's my that's my nostalgia <laughs> at the at the parochial school I attended. <laughs> um, so I was pretty pumped because I was like, oh, I'm like, I know the singles off of this and they're super good. Like, this is going to be a lot of fun. So I don't have like a super deep connection or a history with it like um, some of the rest of you. Mm. Ben, what about you? I was probably about as excited to listen to this album as I was to consume this hazy IPA from 612 Brew. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> they were both real good. Um I was familiar with this album. I think you you would have to be pretty sheltered to not have at least heard something off this album. And to to Joe's rating point earlier of of borrowing CD sleeves, this totally brought me back to we used to take um, like Greyhound style buses, coach buses, to and from hockey games up in Minnesota. And so we're cruising around on these buses and it would be always this CD <laughs> sleeve swap. So, you know, you, everybody would get, get their sleeves out and you'd exchange and somebody would grab this and that. Um, and and th this was one where, <laughs> you know, you'd grab it from whoever's parents let them own it kind of thing. And uh, uh, you'd get a chance to listen to it. To my probably detriment, I never really gave it its full, full-throated listen like I, like I did here. Uh, so I was just, you know, sticking to the singles, skipping tracks, listen to, you know, nothing but a G thing because you see it everywhere and hear it everywhere. And you probably move on to the next thing. Uh, I was really looking forward to diving into the album, digging into it and really listening to it fully and, and kind of do, doing the whole experience. I think it's, it's just fascinating, though. I mean, I think music, you know, a lot of things we talk about on this this uh, show is blind spots and your own biases with music. And one of the things for me, for sure, is you have to be in the right age. Uh, it's almost a maturity level. Because I will tell you, at uh, I was at this point probably 10 years old when it came out. And I, if it wasn't rap or if it wasn't hardcore punk or something heavy with edges to it, as I'm sure a lot of young American men feel as they're growing up, I wasn't really into it at all. But even the stuff I was into, it was so um, transient. You got the singles, you got the videos, boom, go. Because, I mean, I didn't have a CD player for a while, and I don't know if this was even out on CD. It was probably tapes at that point, um, 92, something like that. But it, you, you just got what you could and you got out. You were so dependent on the radio, and now... It's, it's such a luxury to be able to go back and be mature enough now. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, to actually consider this album and what, as I've described it, it was a monster. Even if you hated this album, it was a monster. It just shattered so many things, and it did. It launched the careers of so many people, um, and, and Dr. Dre, frankly, did uh, as the producer. So I, I think we are all uh, eagerly awaiting to hear what one another has to say about this album um, because it's not one you can ignore that's for sure what are the things that stood out what are the things that that really drew you in and i'm going to start i'm going to start with our guests audit and robert generally speaking what what stood out to you it can be something sonically or lyrically or acoustically uh from a production standpoint what stood out to you 
that grabbed your ears and wouldn't let go on the on the chronic by Dr. Dre? For me, it was that keyboard. Like that P Funk that you know Parliament had that Dr. Dre produced. Just like you know, like that sound, you know, and just that 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 pure, like just different with gangster rap, right? So you had NWA, you bring in the chronic, and the chronic you know combines gangster rap and it combines old school funk that everybody knows. Um that combination. Robert, what about you? What stuck you? What hooked you? Well, there's no question, you know, because we can all say nothing but the G thing was the one song that hit us, right? And Fuck With Drain A is a fantastic song. But when you go through the whole, when you go through the whole album, right? Something like Lyrical Gangbang to me, like Lyrical Gangbang, if, if you guys think about that song, the opening line of Lyrical Gangbang is this should be played loud in a residential area, right? What are, what are we doing right now? Like we're suburban kids, right? In a residential area. Yeah, I think you guys are hitting on a lot of it. A lot of what strikes me on this album, and I think strikes a lot of people, it's not an insight that isn't shared widely, uh, is the production of it. The production, and obviously some very prominent guest spots, um, but the production of it. Ben, you you have a specific thought on production. What makes this album unique? Um, what was that? So... Uh, the the thing that was inter- interesting to me, and I'm, I'm going to give a plug for uh, the evolution of hip hop. If anybody hasn't watched that, it's a Netflix uh, kind of documentary ish series, uh, but it, but it really documents where where hip hop came from and where it has gone. And the the first season kind of gets you to this point, uh, which is kind of the East Coast West Coast and the in kind of the rise of G Funk. But um, one of the things that they, they talk about in that documentary, and also I notice when I'm listening to it now, is previously you'd be taking these samples just straight off of songs. And what Dr. Dre did is he, is he really kind of boosted that sound and brought in instrumentals and really started to play some of that funk music and not just the little chunks of it that you could you know loop and and rap to he actually made it a lot more musical but that that i and i think audit and robert have have kind of touched on this too is this it's this very distinct um and i don't know what it is because again we're all we're all just in music enthusiasts here we're we're not into music theory it's just this sound you know it when you hear it and i don't know if it's the pitch if it changes but it takes these funk songs with which if you listen to on their own sound just like normal songs and it takes it to an entirely different place it, it just transports you and I, I don't know very many other artists or any other music that really does that to you that just really transports you to a very like specific geography place time and feeling like like this does mm. ryan this takes you you know you've mentioned it it takes you to a place of, you said it's nostalgia. It takes you to a place of being a kid growing up in, in a small town, listening to this. Uh, 30 years later, do you still feel that way? Does it still bring you back to that place? <laughs> you know, not in the same way, but um, it, it does 
bring back those memories of I don't know I call it like an escapist fantasy where I'm this kid living in a town in west central Minnesota with 10,000 people and all of a sudden I'm listening to this music and I feel like I'm in Compton California you know I'm, I'm listening to gangster rap it's I don't know it had this this way of transporting me to a place I'd never even seen I mean the internet wasn't really a mainstream form of media at the time there was no social media but I pop in this album and heck all of a sudden now I'm listening to things that are going on in Compton and that but hey it was a new experience for me in a way that I had never really sought out experiencing before and here it was you know in my 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 bedroom door that was closed off from my family because it had to be but um that that's that was pretty pretty cool experience and yeah it doesn't hit me the same way now but um listening to the album I I still you know like it for some of the same reasons where it's that trunk rattling bass combined with that Dre and Snoop collab um, along with the synth. But like, to me, it's all about Dre and Snoop, the whole album. And Snoop is the best way I could describe it. I've always said he's got a smooth voice, but he's casually great as he needs to be in that album. He's just effortless in his rapping, which really just hooked me even at 13 years old, just being like, wow, this is really cool stuff to listen to. I don't know why. I know I'm not supposed to be listening to it, but it sounds great. Um, so yeah, I mean, not the same experience now, uh, 25 plus years later, but I still enjoy it. Um, something I haven't grown out of. You put it well, you called it an escapist fantasy. And I, and I wonder about that. There were so many people across the country, kids, young kids who had no connection to the ghetto or the hood or any of the neighborhoods you want to throw out. Um, but that saw this as, wow, isn't this really, isn't this really something? Isn't this interesting? Isn't this cool? Uh, it's just, it's really fascinating part of it. And, and I think it speaks to there's a whole social science you could go into on, on that and why that appeals to us uh, in, in such a way. But the, the reality is at the end of the day, you strip away all that context and this album is something. This album is something that, again, I said it, it's, I think it's, you couldn't ignore it. You could not ignore this album. You either love it, you hate it, but you couldn't disregard it. And, and it appealed to so many people, but it, it's pretty clear. I think there's some positive feelings about this album, but with that, we're going to take a quick break. Hey listeners, this is Joe from The Real Wolf Record Club. Did you know that you can join The Real Wolf Record Club? Go to www.realwolfrecordclub.com, follow us at Real Wolf Record Club on Instagram or Real Wolf RC on Twitter and find out how you can join The Real Wolf Record Club. There you'll find links to episodes as well as links to buy merchandise from our very own Ward Sutton for The Real Wolf Record Club. Now, back to the show. Let's get started talking about The Chronic by Dr. Dre. To me, a thing I've said about albums a lot is, especially in the record vinyl world, is you know that A side is a monster, that B side is a monster. I'm going to level with you. This album, the A side is an absolute monster. It is filled. It is, it is the pure essential elements of what makes this album great. Uh, and I'm wondering, what was your favorite song on this album? So mine was Farmer Dre Day. Um, for the without hesitation. Yeah, no, I mean, 
You know, I revisited the record and I listened to the whole thing back in front twice to, just to make sure that I was right about that one. But there's no question. Pretty easy for me. I listened through it. I'm like, yep, good song, good song, good song. And then nothing but a G thing comes on. Hands down, it was the favorite song on the track. Um, Ryan, your thoughts on that? Because I think that was yours too. Yeah, not too much to add there. Yeah, my favorite as well. Um, a lot of good songs on the album, but for me, the, the creme de la creme is all the Snoop and, and Dre um, heavy songs. They're by, they're by far my favorite. So this one stood out to me. It's, it's a fun, laid back um, sounding song. You kind of get lost in the beat and the chorus. Um, you can kind of sing along. It's There's a few songs on this album that are just great cruising songs, and it probably brings me back to getting my permit and driver's license and getting a CD player in my car and throwing in my Dre album because I did that. And this is one of the songs I can remember driving to, and it's great driving music. Yeah, and I think you know that idea, you described it as a riding song or several of those, and that's and when I say it's a metal album, that doesn't mean I think it's too hard or too heavy or anything like that, but you're also talking to somebody who has um, some level of hearing loss from years of metal and punk shows. Just front row, nothing, no protect, just listening to it. Give it to me raw, baby. Um, so I have no problem with listening to the, the stuff that is really hard edges. Uh, but I will tell you that what I, I found so interesting about, as you called it, Ryan, those riding songs, Let Me Ride, quite literally, or um, there's a couple other tracks. One that I think Ben will talk about is it, it does provide that smooth break that little bit difference from the harder edges, from that escapist fantasy of, of living in Compton or, or South Central L.A. Um, in the early 90s. It gives you that smooth kind of hook to kind of bob your head along with. Because to me, that's good rap. When you have that nice head bob going, they got the beat, they got the hook, they got the flow. Everything comes together in a perfect little, what did you call it, Ben? A musical lasagna? Are we still using that horrible, <laughs> corny metaphor? <laughs> comes together perfectly. Um that's, we only that's get to, to talk me. about we only get to talk about musical lasagna when we're talking about pet sounds. Got it, got it. Ben, Ben, we talked a little bit about it. What was your favorite track on this album? Yeah, you know, I had I had a really tough time with this one. I it, to kind of Robert's experience and to what we recommend all of our listeners is that you do sit down, you take these albums and you listen to it front to back, first track to last track, and have it. Be an experience. Soak that whole work of artistry in, then form some opinions after that. Go back and listen to some tracks, but really do sit down. Just take a listen to all of it because I didn't always do that in my more foolish and younger years. <laughs> uh, and I try to do it a lot more now. Um, and so I was in initially just totally drawn to the, the songs that I was familiar with, the songs that I've experienced because music is so experiential and I have so many good memories with some of these songs, the, the singles. But I kept coming back to Little Ghetto Boy in my maybe more adult, mature years. But man, it's funky. It's a biography. These people, are, are t they're telling a story. And it's this really interesting experience that you have. And I, and I, I talked to Joe a little bit about this album. I couldn't help myself. Uh, but but I, I said it, it's a lot like a window and, and we're these kind of safe bystanders that get to stand there and we get to experience all of these things that are going on from the safety of our suburban, <laughs> rural, uh, what, wherever you're sitting, homes, 
but we get to have this unique and fun experience. And I, I thought that this one really kind of did that well. And I just have to say, it has the gangster flute in it. And <laughs> I mean, listen to this song. It has a flute in it. We are listening to G-Funk, West Coast, gangster rap. And it's a Donny Hathaway sample with a flute. And here we are all agreeing that this song shreds. I mean, love it. Absolutely love it. I don't believe that was a single. And so that's an interesting choice too, because it kind of, it's not a single off the album, but it, it kind of does break up to your point. It's got a flute. It's got this Donny Hathaway loop that if you recognize it from Wu-Tang forever, it's because they also use the same one. Um, I, I think the, 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 the vibe on this album is so strong that there's so many points you could go. I'm curious, Hannah, what was your favorite track? I mean, Ben's talked about little get a boy. We've talked about nothing but a G thing. Um, what was your favorite track? I uh, picked what I believe was actually the uh, least well-received single, which is Let Me Ride. I I love that song. I can't get enough of it. I play it over and over and over. I'm just a sucker for the high synth flute combo, the funky bass. It's such like a smooth song with like such a good bass line. But it's also that high synth gives it like a light, bubbly, really easy feel. Um, it's just an awesome, awesome song. And it truly does like Let Me Ride. It, I mean, the song sounds like driving down the street in a car on like a sunny summer day. It's just an incredible song. I, I truly just love that song. I found myself playing it like on repeat at one point where I was like, well, let's just listen to that just one more time, you know? So I, I really, that I can't get enough. It's awesome. Mm. And Hannah, Hannah, with that smooth bubbly feel, it's, it's almost like the smooth golden sessionable taste of the honey blonde 612 brew. <laughs> I will say. I love this. I love this. Speaking of smooth. Uh, on it, on it, there's not a lot left to pick, so I'm on bated breath. Your favorite track on this album? Dre Day. Dre Day? Yeah. You know, when I, when I, was, when I was listening to The Chronic, I had two 15-inch subwoofers in my car. You know, so like that was my rep in high school. I got to have the loudest bass. Me and my brother would drive around. We're like, we're just, you know, uh, you know, and my brother's like my partner in crime and rap music. You know, he is exactly like I am, but his, you know, we grew up, we were immigrant family. Uh, it, it's really weird because I talked to a lot of, you know, if you talk to a lot of immigrants, they really uh, identify with rap music. I think because, you know, you come to this country, you don't have a lot. You're, you're, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. Like my parents are always working. We grew up poor, um, you know, trying to make, you know, and grow and grow and grow, which we did. Um, but I think like we identified with this kind of music. Um, it was, it, I mean, just the way that beat hit me, uh, and that bass in my car and you know it, it was awesome 
quite literally hit you with the bass in your car. <laughs> that threw up in the back of my car because the bass was so loud. And I was like, this is my, this is my thing, you know? That is the I title. Too, yeah. the shower. Working yeah. title of this episode is Audit Cholera Makes You Puke. Uh, there you go. <laughs> That's the story of my life. Story of Robert's life. Now it's a little different. Now it's not a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we clear. I mean, I think it's pretty unanimous so far that there's a um, there's an affinity for for the album, and I don't know if it comes from nostalgia. I don't know if it comes from remembering where we were when we heard something, but I, I don't know that we need to parse it any more than that because it doesn't matter. But I, I really, I'm just curious, just as a question to the group, because I think it's a question a lot of us have. We've all hit on what drives this album. Is it the production? Is it a verse? Is it a hook? Is it a sample? And to me, that really boils down to, the I think, the main discussion point that we may want to bring up that we haven't already talked about uh, would be that, that Dre the producer versus Dre the rapper. And they're not necessarily opposed to one another. But I look at this, and this is a guy who, who arguably, you could say the careers of Eminem, Kendrick Lamar, 50 Cent, um, <laughs> Beats, Snoop. Be, Snoop, right? Beats by Dre was sold to Apple for three billion with a B dollars. I mean, this is a guy whose impact on music is humongous. But on this album, to me, there's that little bit of dichotomy of what makes this album excel. Is it Dre the producer or Dre the rapper? And this isn't. There's no right answer here. I'm squarely in the side of this is a masterpiece because of how it's produced. I don't know that's an unpopular opinion, so I'm not necessarily hoping there's controversy. But, I mean, everything we've said about Snoop, everything we've said about the other verses, everything we've said about the beats and the bass and Audit's trunk, all that stuff going on, it's such a powerful and uh, produce. The, the production here is the masterpiece. What does anyone else think? He did everything, right? He wore multiple hats. You know, I look at, you know, Dre's like a, he's like a business owner, man. He just took something... And he ran with it when he had to sing, he would, when he had to rap, whatever he had to do, he got it done and he'd bring in everybody else just to make something great. I mean, you don't, you don't get to a billion dollars by being an idiot. The guy's a fucking genius. I mean, clearly you got, I mean, you got godfathers of rap, right? So like you look at Eminem, I mean, Eminem is you know, old school rap now. New people don't listen to Eminem, right? Eminem's already in the back. You know, he's already in the back. Like, he's made his career. He's done that. Now he's kind of like the old guy. He's uh, making money. He right yeah. I mean, literally. <laughs> literally. What'd you say, Robert? I could hear you. He's making mom spaghetti. Yeah, exactly. I want to eat it. You know, I, and I think that is. It's a huge thing, man. It's it, it comes. It's it's. Uh, you can't get one without the other. I think you get both. Yeah, I I I love that audit, and it it's one of the things that we talk about fairly often in the Real Wolf Record Club is how music can bring very different bias. You know, people with different biases, different perspectives, different experiences together. And uh, I loved how you talked at the beginning about how you have kind of this yin and yang of creative and analytical in your business. But yet here you are. And I'm assuming we haven't gotten to our rating yet. I'm assuming you guys both like this album based on what you've been saying, but 
I mean, it brings two very different minds together. It brings different experiences together, whether that's suburban, rural, urban, uh, and, and people can all get behind this album and, and pick out different parts of it and experiences within it that they love. And I think that that more than anything speaks to Dre's skill and production and his eye for talent, you know, bringing in the people and, and audit, like you said, having those creative ideas and being a problem solver, really being a businessman, <laughs> um, just like running your, your brewery and, and your uh, operations, you know, it's solving problems and in, in bringing the best people into the job to give the customer us, thankfully, the best experience possible. And I think he does that, does that wonderfully. And it did, really did give me a lot more respect for the album and for my experience. So what you're saying is Adit Kalra and Robert Kasich are basically Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it. I wasn't going to say it. it. Wait, wait. So what you're saying is that Audit is Dr. Dre and I'm Snoop Dogg? <laughs> I'll let you guys. That's, that's, that's the way I heard it. I will let the partners at 612 Brew <laughs> figure that out. Figure that out. Um, we, we, before we turn to our album review, before we turn to our album review, we always do one little thing. And I've learned over the years in our, uh, as you can probably tell, we're all friends here. I've known Ben for quite a while. Um, we, this is really Ben's segment. This isn't so much a coronation, but this is really Ben's segment because, um, a little known fact about Ben is former wedding DJ. <laughs> he's a former wedding DJ and he's also has... I'm going to guess a uh, hundred or more very hyper specific playlists that he makes for all kinds of music. So this is really Ben's segment. It's called Put It On A Playlist. Put It On A Playlist. Pick a song and put it on a playlist. Ben, what do you have for us this week? Joe, I, I love playlists. <laughs> I love thinking about playlists. I love making playlists. I love listening to playlists. I also love listening to full albums, but I'm going to put on a playlist called Iconic Intros, Nothing But a G Thing. There is just nothing that gets more funky like an old batch of collard greens, like nothing but a G thing. And just stepping into that synth and just that vibe doesn't get any better. But but give me a flavor. Okay, give, a, give our listeners across the country a flavor here. What else is on the iconic intros playlist? Because <laughs> I know you're looking at a screen with a list of songs. <laughs> well, Joe, we're talking about who I am, what's my name. We're talking about Give It Away by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We're talking about Hypnotize by Notorious B.I.G. We're talking about Enter Sandman here for the metal fans that, that Joe was actively recruiting at the beginning of this podcast, trying to get them to listen to The Chronic by Dre. There are some great... Let's do Bulls on Parade. There are some great intros out there, and this 
song, Nothing But a G Thing, deserves to be at at the top or near the top of that list. Mm. Well, uh, yes, you never fail to disappoint, Ben, with the level of nuance and neurosis that you bring to putting a song on a playlist. That was put it on a playlist here on the Real Wolf Record Club. We are going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with our album rating of The Chronic by Dr. Dre. We're back, finally, with our rating. You've all waited patiently to hear what our rating of the song, or the album, excuse me, of The Chronic by Dr. Dre. It should come as no surprise, I think, that this this review has been, it's been a fun one. We've talked to Robert Kasich and Adit Kalruff, 612 Brew uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Bay Canning Brew Company in Tampa, Florida, about Dr. Dre's The Chronic, the smash mainstreamed gangster rap album from 1992 and and i will just lead that i think um this is an album that there's so much for any any comments you might have about problematic lyrics or viewpoints from 30 some years ago and or things that maybe aren't perfect in your mind I, i think there's a lot to unpack here there's a lot to peel away there's a lot of really interesting and really revolutionary stuff that's happened on this album so i will lead it and i will start out and say that i give this a solid buy it I give this a buy it as a vinyl record head. This is a buy it, and and actually buying it might not be that that compelling of a position, given the fact that um, up until 2020, you had to buy this. You quite literally had to buy this album. It was not on streaming services until I think April 20th of 2024, 2020. Real clever, real clever. Whoever made that decision um, on the Dr. Dre camp, but you you couldn't stream it. And how, think of how ubiquitous streaming has been. Uh, for so long, you could just stream it on whatever. You couldn't do it. You had to literally buy it. But anyways, with that, I, I give this a solid buy. This is an album that I think I need to own at some point. I think it's worth having in your collection because it is that iconic. Um, Audit and Robert, I'm going to turn to you guys. Um, you are our guests, and we thank you for being here. What was your rating of The Chronic by Dr. Dre? 10 out of 10. Buy it. Buy it right now. Get it. 10 out of 10 would be yeah, buy it again audit wants multiple five, copies times multiply it by two <laughs> turn it up buy to it 11. robert what about you i own this record on uh cd i bought it when i was 14 and i rebought it on vinyl uh when i was an adult i would say 100 percent. put this in your catalog buy it buy it again there you go ryan hannah ben what do you guys think it's a buy it for me. I bought it when I was 13. I haven't bought it since. I, I love it. Um, it's a great album. It brings me back every time I listen to it to my youth, being 13, listening to the music in my room. Um, yeah, it, it's something I've listened to for hours. I've blurred it driving down the road when I first got my car. Um, all these years have gone by, and nothing makes me feel older than realizing how many years ago this album was actually released i i don't even like to think about it sometimes 25 plus years probably since i bought it but um it's definitely a buy it yeah same for me it's a buy it um i mean you can't deny the production of this album is just absolutely fantastic and it's a really solid album throughout um uh, for me, it's uh, not something I need one to stock, one to rock, and it's not my personal 
uh, wheelhouse uh, as far as musical taste goes, but um, still there's songs on there that, you know, you just can't get enough of. They're just incredible, amazing songs. Um, so I'm going to continue to enjoy this album. Ben, you get the last word. What's your ranking of The Chronic by Dr. Dre? Joe, I don't know what's more disappointing to me right now. The fact that I just spilled a little bit of my Honey Blonde on my desk. It's my 612 Brew American Blonde Ale with a smooth, golden, sessionable taste. Or the fact that I don't own this album. Hmm. I listened to this thing... And it was just this continuous flow of funk. But man, if, if you if you really soak it all in and experience it, it's really good. And I almost think that there's a musical lasagna feel to mm. this. Where you do you do get a lot of layers. You get this really rough, hard edge surface on top, but there's a lot underneath it. So really mm. get in, consume that lasagna and experience this album it's worth it so it's a buy it you would buy the lasagna it's a buy it from me i'm not gonna buy it again but i am gonna buy this one (laughs) (laughs) oh for our longtime listeners i i want you to know the real wolf record club as a corporate entity does not endorse the use of corny dad metaphors like musical lasagna that is strictly the thoughts and opinions of ben our resident panelist. And with that, we have reviewed, we have finished, we have gotten through The Chronic by Dr. Dre. We, it's a favorable album. It's a great album. And it's one you should definitely check out as the consensus of the panel. We want to thank our guests, our special guests and now friends, uh, Adek Kalra and Robert Kasich. Uh, they are the owners of 612 Brew in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as well as Bay Cannon Brewing in Tampa, Florida. If you have the chance, get out to the tap room at 612 Brew in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Bay Cannon Brewery uh, in Tampa, Florida. Robert, can your stuff be found, and where can it be found? Yeah, man. Uh, tap rooms located in Northeast Minneapolis, Central, and Broadway for 612 Brew. You can find us at your local liquor stores and your favorite uh, bars and restaurants. And in uh, Bay Cannon Brewery, you can find us in Tampa and all of the surrounding areas. Look for it. Support our guests. They spent the time talking to you about their favorite music. They're a great brewing company, uh, soon to be national, at least for Bay Cannon. So uh, definitely check them out, support them, and visit us. Follow us. Uh, you can find links to all these these great guests and friends of ours on the show at realwolfrecordclub.com. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Join the club. Join the club. That I think that makes this a very unique experience is that you can interact with us. You can be a part of it. Music is universal. Music is family. Music is community. It is something that binds us all in ways that we always can't explain or articulate or agree upon, but what we know it's there and we know it's present. And it's something that this club is built on is the idea that everyone's involved. Everyone's in the club. Join the Real Wolf Record Club. And until next time, we will see you on the Real Wolf Record Club. This has been the Real Wolf Record Club podcast. The Real Wolf Record Club is a production of Real Wolf Productions, LLC, a limited liability company. The show is produced today by Ben Head. Our panelists were Ryan McKinnis, Hannah Vantomi, and I'm your host, Joe Vantomi. Follow us and join the club on Instagram at Real Wolf Record Club, on Twitter at Real Wolf RC. 
Go to our website to find links to the episodes, upcoming news and information, as well as a link to buy merch from our very own Ward Sutton at www.realwolfrecordclub.com. Join us next episode when we discuss the atmospheric Live at the Harlem Square Club by Sam Cooke.